You're listening to a BGSM podcast with Dr. Shari Blowett on Lessons from Disability Sport. Sherry has a remarkable career to date and one we'll explore in this podcast. She now balances her sports medicine expertise between Harvard Medical School, the USA Paralympic team, and the International Paralympic Committee. It's an absolute honor to have you on the line, Sherry. Thank you, Liam. Can you tell our listeners, how did you get interested in disability sport? So really my interest in disability sport stems from um, my life and my career as an athlete. Um, When I was in junior high and about eighth grade, I learned about the sport of wheelchair racing. And where I was growing up in a fairly rural part of the U.S., there weren't a lot of opportunities to get involved in the sport. But we made it work. And my high school track and field coach um, and I kind of figured out the sport together. I started to train with our high school team and then ultimately discovered some wheelchair sports programs that were taking place in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as Des Moines, Iowa, which were quite a drive, but but worth it. (laughs) And over many years, continued to acquire skill and expertise in the sport of wheelchair racing. Um, Ultimately competed for the United States Paralympic team in three Paralympic games. That is Sydney 2000, Athens 2004, and Beijing 2008, um, and had the honor of bringing home seven medals Um, in mid-distance and long-distance track, as well as road racing. Um, Towards the end of my career, I also took a bit of a leap and uh, focused more so on long-distance road racing and became a marathoner and raced the marathon circuit for many years um, and had the fortune of bringing home um, wins, two wins at the Boston Marathon, two wins at the New York Marathon, um, and several others um, uh, internationally. So I had a you know, I was very fortunate to have a, a long and successful career in the sport. As I was nearing the end of my competitive career, um, I always knew that, that you know, there was a lot of life yet to live and a long road ahead. And I wanted to really blend and transition my experiences and expertise as an athlete into something that would provide a foundation for a very exciting career that had opportunities for growth into the future. I had started into pre-medical training and then um, jumped into medical school at Stanford when I was kind of in the mid of my athletic career. So I actually went to medical school and did it over six years instead of four years. Um, Graduated in 2009. And then because I wasn't training and competing any longer, um, I was able to, to choose a residency in any environment I wanted, including cold New England. So that's when I moved to Boston. I did my residency in physical medicine and rehab and sports medicine um, uh, at Harvard. Um, I did my sports medicine fellowship actually at the Rehab Institute of Chicago. So, you know, a lot of us, I think, in in sport and exercise um, medicine have a long road, but that's how I got to where I am today. And and it's been quite a journey and a tremendous honor. And I also have the pleasure of um, leading a fantastic group of colleagues as chairperson of the medical committee for the International Paralympic Committee, um, which is, you know, a very unique role that really is able to focus on um, how we think about Paralympic sport, how we make sport safe for athletes and ensure that athletes have the opportunity to compete and, and do their best on the field of play in an environment that, that optimizes and puts athlete health um, as a top priority. Wow, such an incredible story. You'll be sharing many of the take-home points from this podcast with the delegates of the Canadian Academy of Sports Medicine Conference and the beautiful harbour city of Halifax in the midsummer. But let's dive into what they might be getting to hear. So why do sports physiotherapists and doctors need to know about caring for the para-athlete if they think that maybe they don't see them that often in clinic? Expertise in working with the para-athlete population 
is um, really actually evolving to become a core competency within the field of sport and exercise medicine. Um, and we're really seeing increasing participation of people with disabilities in sports and exercise at all levels from, from uh, grassroots up through sub-elite and up to you know, the elite Paralympic level. And uh, because of that growth, I think it's going to be very difficult for sports physiotherapists and doctors to have a long career in the field and to not interface with para-athletes. Um, at some point, I think that that, that population is going to be sort of um, at their doorstep and, and needing the care that any athlete would require. Um, some of this is because there's a lot of sports federations as well as Olympic and Paralympic organizations that are really blending their services and asking their associated physiotherapists and doctors to work with both populations um, and not really, not really giving an opt-out option. It's either you care for all of our athletes or you care for none of our athletes. Um, and so, you know, it is going to become uh, a core, it is already a core competency and will will continue to evolve into that even more so. Um, additionally, I think that when we think about the exercise medicine part of our field and chronic disease prevention, there's a huge impact to be made uh, because we know that people with disabilities are like less, less likely to engage in um, leisure time physical activity. Um, so, you know, there's opportunities for impact as it relates to um, the promotion of exercise, sport, and healthy lifestyles. And there's tremendous opportunities for impact as it relates to caring for elite athletes. Um, you know, I think that if you talk to anyone who's had the opportunity to work with uh, sub-elite or elite athletes with disabilities, they'll tell you that it's really transformative. It's really an extremely rewarding experience um, and something that should be embraced. I know from my perspective as an athlete, that you know, when I was sort of coming up the ranks and um, in striking the elite levels, and then ultimately when I was on the U.S. team, you know, I think that that I was able to form really, really strong connections with the sports physiotherapists and doctors on our team, and create a really unique relationship and therapeutic alliance. And a lot of that, I think, was because you know we are Paralympic sport, as particularly at that time, was more of a niche population, and those who got involved were really typically in it for the count and in it because they had a passion for this population. So I think that's the, our foundation. And then we're growing into um, a time in which because of increased participation, um, you know, all physiotherapists and doctors are going to interface at some point with this athlete population. Can you take us through the typical musculoskeletal injuries that we see in this cohort or that you may have suffered when you were a para-athlete? Great question. Well, we know that that injury patterns in the elite para-athlete um, are unique compared to their able-bodied counterparts and that these reflect factors that are related to disability and also the unique sports uh, in which athletes with disabilities compete. Um, I know for myself, you know, a big concern within athletes in my sport was always the shoulder. Um, you know, for individuals who are uh, wheelchair users in daily life like me, um, and then also wheelchair users for sport, and the upper limb takes an extreme amount of load. Um, and particularly, you know, when, when you think about sport participation, of course, you have a lot of load, but also in just day-to-day -day activities. And there's a lot of research that's outside of the direct sports medicine realm, but also pertinent to what we do, that shows that things like transfers in and out of a wheelchair are extremely stressful on the upper limb, and particularly the shoulder, um, given that the upper limb isn't meant to be weight-bearing. Uh, and so we transition these non-weight, typically non-weight-bearing joints into being weight-bearing. And because of that, you get really unique and accelerated patterns of overuse. So um, I certainly know that, that a lot of mornings when I wake up 
my shoulders are talking to me a little bit. And I think that, I think that most athletes who have had long careers in parasport, particularly in wheelchair sport, uh, will tell you the same thing. You know, we know the incidence of rotator cuff pathology is very high, particularly degenerative rotator cuff pathology. Um, we see patterns of early degenerative joint disease in these athletes. So it's, it's a very significant concern, um, certainly for performance at the elite level, but also when we think about promoting athlete health and wanting to, to optimize athlete health for decades into the future after one's post-competitive career uh, finishes. So um, in general, the upper limb is of extreme importance and particularly the shoulder um, in, our, in our Paralympic athletes. Another topic that I think is very interesting is um, injuries to the head and neck and particularly concussion. And you know, we're really just, um, just really at the precipice of knowledge related to sport concussion in, in the para-athlete population. There's not a lot of literature. It's an area that is truly ripe for the, um, for the taking of uh, any uh, enthusiastic, young or experienced researcher who wants to delve into a, an area of concussion research where we know that there would be a really, really high impact on athletes. We know from our Paralympic Injury and Illness Surveillance Study that the incidence of injuries to the head and neck is particularly high, uh, for example, in the sport of football five-a-side, which is football for athletes with visual impairment. You know, and these athletes are, are playing football. They're running around the pitch. They're using sound um, uh, as the means for tracking the ball and for um, being able to carry the ball down the, down the pitch towards the goal. And because of that, they don't see other athletes coming towards them um, or any potential collisions. And without that protective reflex to prevent uh, injury at the time of collision, you see fairly significant crashes and significant force on the pitch itself. And, and although we don't have great data with regards to the overall incidence of concussions, our, our, our concern is that it's very high. So that's one example of a sport in which we're trying to work with the Federation to uh, begin tracking concussions, begin to do field side assessments, uh, beginning to get a better understanding of the true incidence of concussion and then um, evolving into preventative measures. So, you know, the upper limb, um, head and neck injuries and concussion, those are just two examples of very unique injury patterns that we see in this cohort. Um, I could go on for much longer. There, there, there's really a lot out there um, and a lot that, that, that needs to be um, investigated into the future. Maybe we'll highlight some of the uh, relevant literature in the blurb of this podcast so people can go away and read in their own time about specific musculoskeletal injuries in the cohort. Also, just quickly like to put in that thanks for your time because I know that you're currently at the Paralympic Games in Korea and it's early morning for you then. Just if there's any issues with the internet for people, you are giving up time in the village. So thank you for that. So that's the musculoskeletal part done. What about medical issues? Are there any specific things that we need to be aware of there? Similar to musculoskeletal injuries, illness patterns in Paralympic athletes um, do have some variability compared to able-bodied counterparts. Um, overall, when we look at uh, the data from the Paralympic Injury and Illness Survey, which, which provides um, the best data to date with regards to in illness patterns in this athlete cohort, uh, we see that respiratory illnesses uh, are still, still have the highest incidence in an in elite competitive sport environment. Um, but from there, we start to see variance when we compare Olympians and Paralympians, and that variance sort of comes in in some unique and interesting ways. The biggest one is that we see a much higher incidence of genitourinary illness in this population, particularly um, things like urinary tract infections. Uh, and that really comes into play in athletes with neurologic injury, who as a result of the neurologic injury also have what we call neurogenic bladder. Um, and when one has neurogenic bladder, the, the 
emptying mechanism is altered. And so typically these athletes use intermittent catheterization to void. Uh, and because of that, um, they typically have bladder colonization, which um, then can lead to active infection or, or a high incidence of urinary tract infection in these athletes. Um, and, you know, this was something that, you know, I certainly experienced in my career. You know, when you are at the top of your game and you're at the Paralympics and you're ready to go for gold, the last thing you want is something like a UTI to sideline you and to um, impact your performance. And when the signs and symptoms of UTI kick in, um, it can really, really impact the athlete dramatically very quickly over even a few hours. Um, and so this is something that uh, sport physicians in particular really need to be diligent about and aware of. Many athletes with neurologic injury have signs and symptoms that are a little bit more subtle and a little bit vague. Um, so for example, things like just fatigue or an increase in spasticity. Um, and those may be the presenting signs and symptoms rather than something like dysuria. So, you know, it's a huge issue. It's an issue that certainly impacts health, but also can impact performance. And speaking from experience, when you're an athlete at the top of your game, performance matters. And that's the thing that, that you're really concerned about, particularly um, at the Paralympic Games. So, so genitourine illness, urinary tract infections is something that, um, that is uh, uh, very unique to our athlete cohort and, um, and uh, has to be within the realm of consideration for sports physicians. Um, the other major area to, that, uh, that does show some variability is, um, is medical illness related to skin. And this particularly impacts our um, athletes who are amputees, as well as any athlete with reduced sensation because of prior neurologic injury. Um, as it relates to our amputee runners, you know, um, at, by the time you're at the sub-elite or elite level, um, these runners have a, a very um, tightly fit custom socket that's absolutely dialed in. Um, and, uh, and congruent with their residual limb. I'm sure many listening to this podcast have seen prior video of, of the fantastic performances of some of our top amputee sprinters, um, amputee cyclists, um, and so on. And, you know, these athletes, uh, because of the stump socket interface where, where the, the residual limb is interfacing with the prosthesis, um, that interface is a very high-risk area, particularly related to skin breakdown, um, of course, you're often in hot environments, the athletes are sweating, the skin can get very warm and moist for prolonged periods of time, um, and athletes can get skin breakdown, um, other uh, friction-related skin illness, um, and one, when one develops an issue in that area, as you can imagine, it can be uh, very impactful to health as well as performance. Um, so that's another one that's very unique to this cohort and extremely pertinent um, from the standpoint of sport medicine. So that's some really important stuff to know. With your work in the International Paralympic Committee, can you give us a bit of an insider info? Does the medical input and management differ um, with Paralympic athletes that it does with able-bodied athletes? Overall, you know, if you're working with athletes, athletes are athletes. And a lot of the things that you'll see as a sport physiotherapist or sport physician are the same. They're the, they're the same as you would see with any athlete. All of our athletes are pushing themselves to the limit. Um, and you know, many of the, the patterns of injury and illness are fairly similar. Some of the unique aspects we've, we've talked about in this podcast. Overall, I think it's very important to emphasize that para-athletes you know, want to be treated similar to how you would treat any athlete, um, and that includes you know, optimizing athlete health, but also really thinking about performance and, and helping them get to the podium um, if they have that potential. 
Um, you know, there are some unique things that we see in our Paralympic athlete population related to management. I think one thing that's worth emphasizing is, um, is um, something like pain management in the setting of acute traumatic injuries on the field of play, um, or even um, more long-term pain, pain management for athletes who, who may have other uh, types of musculoskeletal or systemic conditions. Um, we know that our, our, our para-athletes uh, do experience pain is more prevalent from the standpoint of, of that combination of both sport-related injury, but also any background uh, uh, pain secondary to their disability. Um, and we always want to emphasize that pain management should be very multimodal, um, should include optimizing non-pharmacologic measures, um, um, such as was outlined in the recent IOC consensus uh, statement on pain management. Um, and in that um, oftentimes we do need to think about something like TUEs or therapeutic use exemptions for our para-athletes. And ultimately by doing it in the right way, we can, we can get them to a great place where it doesn't have to hold them back. Uh, and that's, again, just one example of, of how, you know, our athletes, although many have a background of complex medical conditions or other um, types of conditions which have caused a disability in the first place, at the end of the day, athletes are athletes and athletes want to be treated like athletes um, in which we really think about optimizing their performance and helping them get to their goals. I love the quote, athletes are athletes. Can I take you back to your career as a very, very successful para-athlete? What were the qualities that you felt either a doctor or a physio or anyone that was working, uh, trying to help you as a team behind the team? What were the qualities that they had that meant that they were successful helping you? You know, I think a couple of things. I think the first that was always very important in my mind was um, not over-focusing on the disability. So, you know, most of our athletes, by the time they get to the elite level. Yes, they may be a person with a disability, but they figured out their disability. You know, that's <laughs> part of their background and part of who they are, but they're there to compete. Um, and I know that as an athlete, I always found it frustrating if there would be a tendency to over-focus on my disability. You know, it's, it's part of the medical history. It, it has to be taken into account. But um, typically, if I were seeking care from a physiotherapist or physician, it was, it was for a sport-related need. Um, and I wanted the focus to be on that need at that point in time and how we needed to manage it so that I could get back out onto the track. Uh, so, you know, over-focusing on um, something related to, well, what was the etiology of your spinal cord injury or focusing too much on that detail and focusing on, on prior surgeries and all of this. Again, yes, it's important to be aware of that athlete history, but at the end of the day, it usually came down to, well, this one thing may be holding me up and I want to get back out onto the track immediately um, as soon as possible and as soon as it's safe. So I think, you know, not over-focusing on the disability, understanding that it's part of the context, but that typically the sport-related need is related to competition and performance. Um, and that's what the athlete is there for. Um, I'd say the other thing would be, you know, that I always very much appreciated when providers would um, have some background sense of, and um, the fact that, you know, when you compete for a Paralympic team, oftentimes the overall level of uh, resources available from the standpoint of sports physiotherapy and sport medicine, um, particularly in one's home environment, before you get to something like the Paralympic Games, sometimes it's different. And sometimes there is a, a less access to care. And sometimes, you know, if you compare a Paralympic athlete to Olympic athlete and think about 
you know, what services were available and what resources they had uh, in order to maintain health and optimize performance up to that point, there's sometimes a bit of a difference. Um, and so, you know, thinking about our Paralympic teams, thinking about how we bring together sports physiotherapy, sports medicine, sports nutrition, sports psychology to create true excellence in that multidisciplinary team. Um, I think that's extremely important. And, and that's when you really enable athletes and, and empower them to put on their best performance. Some golden learning points there for the leader. Now, the best thing about hosting this podcast is I get to ask things that are on my mind. So the BGSM community will certainly have knowledge about the female athlete trial. Now the more recent issues surrounding the relative energy deficiency in sport or Red S. I want to know, do these issues affect para-athletes? Yes, great question. So absolutely, you know, regarding the female athlete triad or Red S, um, we're, again, you, you know, you've, you've kind of probably caught a similar, a similar theme through many of my comments. The literature is not as deep from the standpoint of the evidence. We know less about the para-athlete um, uh, with regard to something like the incidence of low energy availability um, and how that may impact uh, menstrual status and bone health. But what we do know is that the risk factors are there and that certainly when you have athletes competing um, at this level, particularly in endurance sports, that, um, that many of those concerning behaviors and risk factors um, assuredly are there similar to their able-bodied counterparts. We were able to do a review uh, that came out last year that looked at um, the various components of REDS um, and thinking about how factors that are unique to disability may impact um, energy availability, menstrual status, and bone health. So for example, we know that um, athletes who are, are non-weight bearing for much of their lives, for example, athletes with spinal cord injury, have uh, reduced bone mineral density in their lower extremities due to um, decreased skeletal loading over time. Um, and there's high concern that if you then combine that with uh, potential low energy availability status because of um, the triad or red S that you're really putting athletes at high risk for uh, bone related injury, whether it be uh, a fragility fracture in, due to trauma in high impact sport, or whether it be due to overuse um, in, in a more endurance, uh, endurance sport environment. So we have concerns. Um, we need more work in that area, but rest assured, these athletes are out there pushing themselves. And I think that um, many of the risk factors that impact able-bodied athletes also impact our athletes. Um, the other thing that we're really focusing on is the issue of safeguarding and prevention of harassment and abuse in sports. Um, you know, this is an extraordinarily important topic uh, and one that is um, really coming into the discourse of sport medicine more frequently. You know, we're seeing presentation at conferences, we're seeing papers, we're seeing, you know, the most recent um, IOC consensus, um, which, I, which I had the honor of being involved with. And we know that um, para-athletes are at higher risk for non-accidental violence because of uh, being more vulnerable in a sporting environment, uh, because many do require care from others, and the lines can sometimes be blurred between um, you know, providing care in a sport environment and how that then may create a setup for, um, for um, other concerning behaviors. So as it relates to athlete safeguarding, this our para-athlete population um, uh, really needs to have access to education um, and tools for understanding when they may be at risk for non-accidental violence and how to report it if it does occur. I would just like to say it's been 
absolute pleasure and an honour to speak to you and discuss a couple of these things. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Liam. Thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in today and listening to the legendary Dr. Blowett talking all things disability sport. You can interact with BGSM further on the app where you can listen to other podcasts, find interactive content and other things that we can give to you, such as the journals. Thank you very much for listening and have a very active day.